Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. We can turn to Luke 18. And last week we spent some time looking at the, the Great Commission, that this thing that we are committed to as a church. This series is called Lord Build Your Church, and we're just walking through the things that we are committed to do at Hope Church Toronto North, and just believing that as we do these things that God is going to build his church. And so last week we talked about the mission, and this week we're talking about our commitment to prayer. And as a church, uh, this is what we are committed to when it comes to prayer. It should pop up on the screen for you. It says, we believe firmly in the power and necessity of prayer. We believe that it's powerful and we believe that it is necessary. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says we are to pray without ceasing. In Romans 12, verse 12, it says we are to be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, verse 2 says we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. In Ephesians, it says that we are to pray at all times. See, disciples pray because when we pray, we are inviting the power of God to flow into our lives. Do you understand that? When we pray, what we are doing is we're saying, God, I want your power to work in my life. This is the kind of church we want to be. See, prayer is a gift to us from God. It's God's gift to us to help us in the battles of life. I'm sure in a room with this many people in it, all of you had some battle this week. Something went on in your life that made you feel the weakness that is true of us because of our humanity. And you, you felt this need that I need help. And that's why God gives us prayer. So prayer is important to us and it was also important to Jesus. When you read the Gospels, what you'll see is that Jesus had a thriving prayer life. Prayer was a regular habit for Jesus Christ, and he wants that for us. And he knows that when we understand the character of God, it will help us in our praying. When we understand who God is, when I know who God is, it helps me in my praying. And so he tells us a parable. He tells us this parable to show us the character of God. See, Jesus knows that praying is hard for us. He knows that prayer is not something that comes naturally, and that's why he says in verse 1, and he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that, that, that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Another translation says that we should keep on praying and never give up. When I was a student in university, Anytime I walked into a class and I heard that there was going to be a presentation required in the class, do you know what I'd do? I'd drop the class. Sometimes I would be in, in the class with my laptop, just listening as the teacher was walking through the syllabus, and as soon as I heard it, it was deuces. I was like, I'm out of this class, because I did not want to speak publicly. 
It was terrifying to me. It made me feel weak. And so I, was just, I just gave up on it immediately and looked for something else, you know, like introduction to color or something like that. <laughs> it was hard, and so we give up. It's the, I gave up. And it's the same when it comes to prayer. Some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we've given up on it. And it's because it's hard. Jesus does not want that for us. And so he helps us by telling us this parable to to help us persevere in prayer and to help us. He teaches us about the character of God. Here's the first thing he tells us. We don't give up in prayer because God does care. We don't give up in prayer because God does care. Look at verse 2. It says, And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So this widow is coming to this judge for help. She's saying, give me justice. But it says that the the judge neither feared God nor respected man. And what you have here is a judge who's actually completely failing at the job that was given to him by God. He was supposed to be willing to help people. In 2 Chronicles, it says this, and Jehoshaphat said to the judges, consider what you do, for, to, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. So this judge is supposed to fear God, and he's supposed to be willing to help people. And this is who this widow has to come to for help. Now, a widow in this culture would have been weak, would have been very poor, more than likely no family whatsoever to turn to. And she was clearly being wronged. You see it in the text? It says she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice. She was being wronged and this judge ignored her. He did not care at all about her troubles. And what this teaches us is that sometimes people who are in leadership and in authority, sometimes they fail. They fail us. The people that we expect to not let us down sometimes let us down. The people that we expect to help us sometimes don't help us. This judge is supposed to step in for this lady and he does, and he does not. And what it's telling us is that we are not to put our hope in people. Our hope is to be in Jesus Christ alone. See, Jesus is the only one who, when you turn to him for help, he will help you all the time. If your hope is in a spiritual leader or a political leader or somebody influential, that, that, is, that is wasted hope. Because human beings fail one another. We let each other down. We put our hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. The judge's failure shows that he does not care about God. And sometimes we think God is, sorry, that that he does not care about this woman. And sometimes we think God is like that towards us. There's this movie, it's called The Grey. It stars Liam Neeson. And it's a weird movie. The whole time they're just running from wolves. Yeah, it's strange. It's like two hours of just people in the woods running. But it comes to the end of the movie, and the wolves have now circled them, and it's clear that they cannot escape. And so they're going to get got, if I can say it that way. And Liam Neeson looks up at the sky, and he says, help, do something. He's screaming for help. And after a while, do you know what he says? Forget it, I'll just do it myself. 
And sometimes Christians, if we're honest, that's how we feel about God when it comes to prayer. We're asking for help. And the answer is not coming. And we're starting to wonder, does God even care what I'm going through? Does he see my struggle? Is he involved intimately in my life? Preachers keep telling me that, but I don't feel that way all the time. And in that moment, when we feel this way, what we're tempted to do is take things into our own hands. But we are not to do that. Because the Lord does care. We feel like he doesn't, though, when we're praying for that relationship to come along. When we're praying for the salvation of a family member. When we're longing for a job, asking him to give that to us. When we're asking for healing in the midst of our suffering. When we're asking for victory over sin. We're, we're longing for a child to come into our life. We wonder, does God care because he's not answering me? He does care. Paul Miller, in his book called A Praying Life, says, God is in the matter, no matter what the matter is. He is in it. 1 Peter 5 says uh, in verse 7 that we are to cast all our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That is what the Bible is trying to teach us. And so we, we cry out to him. We say we need help. And then we ask him to give us strength as we wait for the answer. We plead with him. The judge is cold. But he does eventually give in. Look at verse Four, it says, for a while he refused, but after it he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So no one knows why he was holding out on her, but he does help her. But he helps her only because he loves himself. Did you notice that? He's not helping her because now he actually cares about her. He's like, I just don't want her to keep coming. She has become an inconvenience to him. He says, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That phrase, beat me down, means to give somebody a black eye. He's like, she is, just, she is going to wear me out, and so I'm, fine. I'm just going to help her and get her out the way. She's an inconvenience to him. And sometimes, if we're honest, that is the reason why we help people. Because they've become an inconvenience to us and we just want them to move on. And so we help them, but it's not because we love them. We're just like, I'm tired of this person, so I'll finally do the thing that they want me to do so that they can just be out of my life. But that's not the heart of Christ. Jesus doesn't help us because he just wants us to move on. Jesus helps us because he wants us in the best place possible. And if we are going to be like Christ, when we look to help someone, we are to ask for a heart that says, let me help this person because they're a human being in need, not because they're inconveniencing me. Let me do it as an act of love and care truly for them. It says The judge says she, will, she was continually coming. See, Jesus is not teaching us here that in order to get God to help us, we have to annoy him. That's not what her continual coming is meant to picture. Her continual coming is a picture of diligence and discipline. That's what's happening here. She's like, I have a need, and I am not giving up until that need is met. It's a picture of diligence. She actually is showing us how we can be with our prayer life. 
When you commit to prayer, you're committing to a life of diligence and discipline. That is what she is showing us because God loves us and he hears us. Psalm 65 verse 2 says, All humanity will come to you, the one who hears prayer. He hears what is going on. Your prayers aren't going up to the ceiling and then falling on the ground. That's not happening. You're not just, sometimes you feel like you're just talking to an empty room. Do you feel like that sometimes? That's not what's happening. God is intimately listening. He is hearing you. Her continual coming also reminds us of our weakness. She's continually coming because she's like, I have a problem that I cannot fix. Somebody has to fix this for me. And she shows us that the longer we live life, the more and more times we will experience and run up against situations where we're like, I can't fix this. It show, it, she reminds us that our power in life is limited. There are some things as human beings that we can do, but that we can't do everything. And the longer you live, you are going to experience that, that, that you, we are weak and that we need to ask for help from God. We need somebody much more powerful. Our power is limited, but God's power is unlimited. And so when we go to him in prayer, we're saying, I, like I said it already, I want your power in my life because this situation in front of me, I cannot handle it. And so I need you to take it and carry it because you are strong. That's why we're committed to prayer. The longer this church goes, we are going to run up against situation after situation after situation where we are going to feel weak. And we're going to have to come together as a body and pray and ask God for his help. And God hears us. He hears us and he will help. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said to her, and the Lord said, hear what this what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus says, don't give up in prayer because God does care. Now he tells us that God will answer. We don't give up in prayer because God will answer. Jesus makes a clear contrast now between God and the judge. He calls the judge unrighteous. See, God is everything the judge is not. It's like peanut butter and jam. They're just not the same. Completely different. See, he wants us to know the character of God. God is righteous. God defends the widow. God helps the oppressed, those who are in need. God is always on the side of what is right. Isaiah 61, verse 8 says, says For I, the Lord, love justice. Psalm 147, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Do you believe that about God? When you look at what's going on in your life, and, even, and, and it's, it's the thing that you're not wanting at the moment, you still believe that God is kind. You still believe that God is being good to you. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, For the, the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. This is who we're waiting on in prayer. He says, I will give, he will give, will God, not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and 
night? The answer to that is yes. Now, I don't want you to miss the word cry. Will God not give justice to his elect, those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world? Will he not give justice to those who cry to him? Not just sort of talk to him here and there as they're doing the dishes, you know, sort of throwing up some words, but a a pleading, a crying. The reason why the elect cry is because we experience injustice. We cry to God because we live in a world full of injustice. And the reality when we experience injustice is that it brings pain and suffering into our lives. There is racial injustice, something I've experienced personally. When I was in high school, 16 years old, we, me and my friend Sean were driving home, and when the police comes behind us and pulls us over, and we're explaining that we live in the neighborhood, when he tells us to get out of the car, that's a moment of pain and struggle. Because we're saying to him, officer, our house is right over there. And he says, you can't live in this neighborhood. There's racial injustice that is real. And in that moment, me and my friend Sean are looking at each other. We're saying, what are we supposed to do right now? Because this guy has more power than we do. And he's not listening to us. And so we get out of the car. There's racial injustice. There's injustice against the unborn. There's injustice towards Christians. There's injustice in the legal system. Sometimes guilty people go free. Sometimes innocent people get put in. Injustice is real. There's injustice in the way large companies do things in poor countries that they exploit, exploit those poor people that are there. Injustice in our world is real. The struggle for that is, is, a, is a very tangible thing that people experience. And I want you to listen to Pastor Thabiti on this. He says, for several years, we have heard so much about justice. We have witnessed so many So many pleas and demonstrations for justice. It seems like every time you turn on the TV, that's what's going on. The surest way to get justice in this world for God's people is not by marching, though marching may have its place. Sometimes it's right to march. What Martin Luther King did is right. Sometimes it's right to lead a people and say, what is happening to us is not okay. Sometimes it's right to march. The surest way to achieve justice in this world is not by protest signs, though those may also be appropriate. The surest way to find justice is never by rioting and burning down your neighborhood. We don't want to do that. Justice comes most surely by falling on our knees with our heads bowed. When God's justice comes, it will be perfect, proportionate, and balanced. If we want justice, let us be a praying People. That is how we get beautiful, balanced, proportionate justice. We ask the one who, is, who loves justice, who will make things right in good ways for us. Experiencing injustice will bring pain into our life. But we see here that we are to take that pain and put it into the hands of God. This belongs to you. You carry it for me because he will make things right. Jesus says he will give them justice speedily. Now we hear that word speedily and we think, well, when I ask for, 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 for God to do something in my life, it doesn't feel like it's coming fast. 
right? Sometimes we're, we're, we're praying for a long time. It doesn't feel like what God is doing is, is speedily. But don't miss that Jesus says justice will come speedily. He does not say immediately. Speedily, not immediately. See, God answers prayer. If he answered our prayer in exactly the time that we asked and is in exactly the way we wanted, he would not be God. You would be God. I would be God in that scenario. And all he would be is our genie. I ask for something and you do it. We call God Lord for a reason. Because he is the one who is in charge. And so we wait on him. God answers prayer at exactly when he knows it needs to be answered. And it's also wise for us to keep in mind that our concept of time is different than God's. God has a different concept of time than we do. First Peter, Second Peter, there it is. Second Peter 3.8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. What seems long to us, short to God. His timing is different than ours. See, when Jesus says God will answer prayers speedily, he means according to his timing. Speedily according to God's timing. And when God answers, it will be in the wisest way. Here comes Tim Keller. He says, God will either give us what we ask for or give us, this is so important, or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. I'll just let it sit on you for a minute. He has all the data. And he's hearing our prayer. And he's saying, Marv, I love you. But you cannot see what I can see. And if you could see what I could see, you would not ask for this. You would ask for this. Trust me. And he says, here you go. And when that rolls upon us, we are to say, God, you know what is best. Because he sees the end from the beginning. God sees around the bend. And so we're, we're praying, but we're praying from a limited place. And, but he's answering from an unlimited place. He sees all things. He has all the data. And he says, if you knew what I knew, you would ask for this. So I'm giving you it. And we need to trust. We've got to know that God isn't messing with us. God is not messing with our life. He's looking at us and he's saying, this is what is best for you. And so he gives us what we need. We have to remember, we are in God's story. He's not in ours. He is weaving it. And he weaves it at the pace that he wants. It's his story, not ours. Jesus ends the parable with a question. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, he will, give, uh, to them, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Prayer is an act of faith. And Jesus says, when I come, will I find people praying? Will I find my disciples in a committed posture of prayer. 
praying for God to be honored, praying for our daily needs, praying for the kingdom of God to come. Will I find my people doing that or will I find a group of people who have completely given up? no longer acting in faith, no longer feeling their weakness, no longer realizing how much power they have access to if they fall to their knees and plead for help. Will I find people praying, Jesus says. He tells us not to give up in prayer because he wants us to have the help that we so need in our life. He tells us not to give up. But Jesus also shows us the right attitude to have in prayer. He shows us the right attitude in Luke 22. This is Jesus praying. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus falls on his knees as he's going to die on the cross for our sins. And in, in, in full honesty, he says, if there's another way for us to save Marv from his sin, if there's another way for us to accomplish this thing that we, we know we need to accomplish, to rescue those who truly belong to you, is there, if there's another way to do this, if I don't have to be nailed to a cross, if I don't have to hang there and suffocate and die, if there's another way to do this, then let's do that. It says in in Matthew that when Jesus is praying, there's drops of blood dripping from him. He's pleading with his father. He's saying, if there's another way to do this, let's do that. But then he says, yet not my will. Do you say that in prayer? Do you say, God, I need this thing, but... If you know better, let's do that. Do you pray like Jesus? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And God the Father looks at Jesus and he says, my will is that you will die in their place. And so we're going with that. And Jesus gets up and he looks at his disciples and he says, the hour has come, let's go. Willingly submits to his Father's will because he loves us. Because God says, this is the only way. And we're going to go forward. Jesus tells us not to give up in prayer, but then he teaches us the attitude that we should have in prayer. A surrenderedness to the will of God. That you know what is best for us at all times. He prayed, and the answer he got led to the salvation we needed. He looks at him and he says, we are, we are going forward to the cross, and he dies in our place. Jesus teaches us not to give up in prayer, but he also teaches us to trust God in prayer because he cares for us. And God will always answer in the way that is wisest and in the way that is best for his children. See, remembering the character of God helps us in our praying. And prayer invites the power of God into our lives. This is why as a church, we're committed 
to this. We need God's power. We understand our weakness, and we're trusting that he knows what is best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your dear son who tells us not to give up in prayer and shows us the posture and the attitude we are to have as we come to you. God, I pray that you would help us as a people to take advantage of the gift that you have given us even this week, the gift of prayer, to go to the throne of grace and find help and mercy in times of need. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to embrace the reality that we are, we are needy people, that we come up against things that make us realize and see the limits of our power, and that there are certain things that we just cannot do. We cannot do them on our own, Lord, but you can, you can handle all of it whether it's giving us what we ask for or giving us the strength as you say no and tell us just to trust you with the details. Father, please help us. I pray you would make us a praying church to know that you do care and that you will answer. And even if the answer is not exactly what we want, it'll be the best answer for us. So please help us, I pray, to walk in grace today that through the gospel, Through the death of your son, we have been given access to you. Help us to take advantage of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.